Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 64. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. Jackie's on the mend. Jackie doesn't feel on the mend, you but sound if better. I sound like it, fine. You're getting over we'll your plane plague. We are now settled in at home, in spite of the fact that we wish we weren't. This Our- just keeps getting more and more depressing. Not in Disney. Sick as a dog. But we're back to normal. Hey. Hey. Back to our regular routine. We hope you guys enjoyed the bonus episode where we gave you our 2019 trip recap. But here we are doing a more traditional uh, monorail radio episode where we talk about the 50th animated feature in the history of the Walt Disney Company and this one being Tangled. And some people wonder, why are you doing Tangled? Well, we already reviewed Frozen. And this kind of just seems like it is the perfect lead into Frozen because many people believe that they are all in the same universe. And you do get a cameo of Flynn Rider and Rapunzel in one of the opening scenes of the first Frozen film. Yeah, I believe it's the Coronation Day. They're they're in the crowd somewhere. I have not seen them personally. I've never caught it. Rapunzel's hair is very short. So it's kind of hard to catch her because uh, she doesn't look the way she does at the end of this film. I think her hair was even shorter in Frozen. So it's brunette Rapunzel that we're looking for. Yes, That's it's brunette probably Rapunzel. why I haven't caught it. Yes. Well, she does eventually become brunette Rapunzel, but some people are wondering, how is that possible? Rapunzel's a blonde. Well, we're going to get to that. Tangled opens with a drop of sunlight falling from the sky to the earth. And that drop of sunlight becomes a golden flower that carries great healing power. Mother Gothel finds it and uses it to stay young forever, uh, forever, rather than sharing it with the world. Fast forward many years. The king and queen are expecting their first child, but while the queen is pregnant, she gets very sick, and they send their men out to find the flower. They do find it, and she is healed and gives birth to baby Rapunzel. The king and queen launch a flying lantern into the sky to signify her birth, and that night, Mother Gothel breaks into the castle, and she cuts a lock of Rapunzel's hair because she's trying to get back that power of the golden flower, but the hair turns brown, and it loses its power. So, Gothel kidnaps Rapunzel and raises her as her own, refusing her or refusing to let her leave the tower that she has put her in and refuses to let her go out into the world. Each day on her birthday, the king and queen release thousands of lanterns, hoping that the princess would see them and return home. Years later, we see Rapunzel grown up, uh, wondering when her life will begin. We then meet a thief named Flynn Rider, who is attempting to break into the castle. He eventually does, and steals Rapunzel's crown. Back at her tower, Mother Gothel visits Rapunzel, and Rapunzel asks Mother Gothel to take her to see the floating lanterns on her 18th birthday, but Gothel rejects her request and assures her that her mother knows best. Meanwhile, Flynn is on the run and climbs Rapunzel's tower to hide, but is found by Rapunzel and knocked unconscious 
with a cast iron frying pan, which, as we will see throughout the film, becomes Rapunzel's weapon of choice. She sticks him in her closet and finds the crown, and she puts it on. Mother Gothel then returns, and Rapunzel tells her that she wants paints from the white shells that she once gave her as a birthday gift, and Gothel sets off on a three-day trip to retrieve them. Flynn awakens to find himself tied to a chair by Rapunzel's hair, and he assures Rapunzel that he isn't after her hair because she believes that everybody wants to steal it. At least that's the idea that is in her head. Rapunzel says that she will hand over the crown if he brings her to the kingdom to see the lanterns get released on her birthday, and he eventually agrees. Gothel sees a palace horse in the woods and gets suspicious. She goes back to the tower to find that Rapunzel is gone. She also finds Rapunzel's crown hidden under a step in the tower. Flynn and Rapunzel stop at the Snuggly Duckling, a tavern filled with thugs, set on turning Flynn in for the bounty that has been placed on his head. But the thugs, as well as Rapunzel and Flynn, share their dreams with each other in what is a very fun song and dance. Through the window, she is spotted by Mother Gothel, but they escape through a hidden tunnel and are eventually found by palace guards pursuing Flynn, although they eventually escape again. They are then trapped in a cave. As a part of their escape, they run into a cave, and it collapses around them. They're trapped, and it starts to fill with water after a dam nearby has broken. And Flynn reveals that his name is really Eugene Fitzherbert. Very different from Flynn Rider. Rapunzel tells him that her hair can glow when she sings and they use it to light their way and escape their certain doom. Gothel later finds the Stabbington brothers who had been with Flynn Rider in their initial break-in of the castle. He took the satchel that had the crown and he sort of left them behind. Well, she finds them and they team up to find Rapunzel and seek revenge against Flynn. Rapunzel, meanwhile, uses her powers and her hair to heal Flynn's hand. He injured it while they were trying to escape the cave. And Flynn tells her that he was an orphan and would read a book, The Adventures of Flynnigan Rider, to the younger kids. And that's how he ended up taking their name, or taking that name, I should say. Gothel eventually catches up with Rapunzel and tells her that Flynn does not care for her and that he is only after the crown. The next morning, Flynn and Rapunzel are awakened as Max, one of those palace horses, tries to capture Flynn. But Flynn and Max agree to give up their chase for at least 24 hours so Rapunzel can go see the lanterns for her birthday. They arrive in the kingdom, and Rapunzel dances, eats, reads, and takes in the sights that she has so desperately been missing out on. Later that night, Flynn and Rapunzel take a rowboat to get the best view of the lanterns. Eventually, they see the light, literally and figuratively, but Flynn then sees the Stabbingtons in the distance and tells Rapunzel he needs to take care of something, and he walks off, satchel in hand. He hands the crown over, but they tell him they want Rapunzel instead. They go after her, they pursue her, and they tell her that Flynn has betrayed her. As she sees Flynn on a boat sailing off into the distance. 
They are then stopped by Mother Gothel, who pretends that she is rescuing the heartbroken Rapunzel. Well, it turns out that Flynn was tied to his escape boat, and the entire thing was a setup. Back in her tower, Rapunzel starts to see distant memories uh, from being in the castle, and she realizes that she is, in fact, the missing princess, and she confronts Mother Gothel about it. Gothel tells Rapunzel that Flynn is to be hanged, and Rapunzel tells her that she won't let her use her hair anymore if he is, in fact, killed. With some help from the thugs that we had met earlier at the Snuggly Duckling, Flynn escapes with Max to find Rapunzel, and he saves her from Mother Gothel. Uh, When he arrives at the tower, he sees that she is tied up because he's going. He hasn't uh, hasn't quite rescued her yet, but that's really his intention. Mother Gothel then comes out of the shadows and stabs him. And Rapunzel says that if she is allowed to heal Flynn, she will go wherever, wherever Gothel wants. Before she can heal him, though, he cuts off all of her hair, ending her power and restoring Gothel to an old hag, who, in her shock, falls out the window and, as she is falling to her doom, turns to dust and disintegrates. Flynn dies. And while crying, her tears, which contain a bit of sunlight, fall on him. That heals him, it brings him back to life. They return to the kingdom where she is reunited with her parents and Flynn and Rapunzel are married after he is pardoned for his previous crimes. Certainly a lot more going on here than just Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair. So it's interesting that you say that because... As I was watching this film, and I hadn't watched it in quite some time, I thought to myself, man, this is a really long movie. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm not saying it necessarily dragged along. But you're used to most of these films being on average between, say, an hour and 15 minutes to an hour and a half. Some of the later ones being more towards the hour and a half. And this one with a running time of, I think, an hour and 40 minutes, just that 10 extra minutes make the film seem like it's just going on and on forever. Not in a draggy way, though, I don't think. It's just really, really involved. And, um, you know, I like that they did that, that they gave us a lot more to the story than we thought we knew. Not in the way of, like, you know, Maleficent gave this whole other backstory to Sleeping Beauty, but... They were able to, I don't feel like this was necessarily a reach, piecing this all together. Right. And I think that the way they did it was really smart. I love how quickly they gave backstory. Because we didn't have the traditional fairy tale opening with the book opening. It's Flynn Rider giving a monologue, basically saying, this is how I died. I think that was a really smart choice to go with Flynn because there were a million ways they could have done it. Like you said, with the traditional book opening, Um, there were also a bunch of people that they could have picked to do the narration, like from Mother Gothel's perspective, how, you know, she's the one who first finds a flower. And if they really wanted to put us in her shoes, they could have started with her, almost made us sympathetic towards her because she wants to stay young and Instead, they made the smartest choice by picking Flynn because this is a story we know. So it does make it funny and it puts a new twist on it right out of the gate. 
Right, and they had initially toyed with the idea of doing the book opening. In fact, they had, I think it was two different book openings before they finally settled on this. Right, because this was something that Walt himself had actually been trying to do back in the early days of the studio. And um, most likely, if they had produced this during the era of like your Cinderella Sleeping Beauty, it probably would have started the very same way. Yeah. But they went with Flynn Rider. It's a funny open. It's a smart open. They give you quick backstory, and they jump right into the action, which I also think is smart because, as you just said, there's a lot more going on here other than Rapunzel let down your hair. So when you take a fairy tale that so many people are familiar with, especially because this was a film that Disney had tried to develop in the 1940s, you're talking... Over 60 years later, the movie finally gets made. Everybody knows the story of Rapunzel. So how can you do it a little bit differently? So it's, it's, it was really a smart choice on their end and creative um, in terms of getting you hooked into a story that you're otherwise very familiar with because then otherwise, why do you want to go see the movie? Right, and then shaking it up a little bit. Right. So we get introduced to the characters very quickly and... I want to talk about Flynn Rider here for a second before we really delve into the characters. His shtick does not get old with the smolder and with everything else where he really believes he's this larger-than-life ladies' man. For all intents and purposes, this should have gotten boring very quickly, but it just doesn't. I love the smolder, and I think that that was a really, again, a smart choice to deviate from the original fairy tale. You don't have your traditional prince. You have, you know, someone that's trying, almost in an Aladdin sort of way, to make you believe who he thinks he is. Right. And then you get Rapunzel is in her tower, and she's got her little chameleon Pascal. And I don't want to say she's playing games with him, but... You, obviously, it's her little sidekick, but he means so much more to her because other than Mother Gothel, she doesn't really have any interaction with any other living thing. So he becomes sort of a part of her every day. She starts making dresses and she makes one for him. I love that they did this and I love that they showed exactly how she would keep herself entertained day by day. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about the song itself later, but I think this is such a great setup for the character because as the hobbies get more and more absurd, it becomes so funny because you see that the days really do drag on for her. Yeah. I love that they release these lanterns every year. I think that it's visually stunning because they do it very early on in the film. It's within the first couple of minutes. And when you see them all go up in the sky, so often I have argued that Disney should go back to hand-drawn animation. And I'm not stepping away from that per se. But in this instance, especially because they had over 45,000 lanterns that they released at any given time when they did this film. This is one of those movies that you go, you know what, tailor-made for CGI. I said the same thing about Frozen when it came out. I would have loved to see it hand-drawn, and then when you see the whole Let It Go sequence, it's like, mm, there's no way you could pull that off. Yeah. With the ice and with the way the light hit the ice and shimmered through it, there's no way that you could have done it hand-drawn. And I don't think like there's there's not a lot that you could have done here 
hand-drawn, as nice as it would have looked. I mean, they gave her 70 feet of hair with over 100,000 strands. I, I mean, it's so difficult to conceptualize doing that with a computer. It would have been impossible to do it by hand. They'd still be working on it. Yeah. I mean, the, the detail in this film is absolutely incredible. That goes without saying. Speaking of, though, I am surprised, though, that they rolled with this as their 50th animated feature when Princess and the Frog is the one that came before it. So I'm surprised they didn't flip-flop them and release this first and make a hand-drawn the 50th film. Yeah, I don't I don't know why they didn't do it that way. I'm sure they had a reason for it. But I kind of felt the same way. I mean, I guess I respect it, though, because if you're talking about from A to Z and you think from Snow White to Rapunzel and you get, you know, it's it's a 50 film period of growth. I, I kind of get it. We've we've seen the animation, obviously. And this was this was a big push forward for the computer, like you said, with the lanterns. Yeah. Let's talk about the moment where Rapunzel leaves her tower for the first time. Her reaction as soon as she gets out of the tower was, in my opinion, quote unquote, perfectly teenager. She's happy. She's sad. She regrets nothing. She regrets everything. And it's it's cut back and forth. Comedically, it's done well. And oddly enough, it's something that's sort of relatable because we've all had those reactions. Yeah, it kind of reminded me when Ariel first stands up and is getting used to her legs and she's so excited about being on land. But what I love here is like they take it to the next level and they really add the humor with her being so guilt-ridden about disobeying her mother. Yeah, Mother Gothel, who is perfect Broadway. She's a total spectacle of herself. Every Everywhere she goes, everything she says is totally over-exaggerated, including her musical numbers. We'll talk about the music in just a few minutes because it's not that I want to fly through the plot here so much as I feel like so much of this movie is based on its animation and its music, almost more so than the story, because as I said before, and you had said it before, you're so familiar with the story of Rapunzel. Right. So I think that she's great. One of my favorite lines in the movie, when she does eventually catch up with them, just to give you an idea of how theatrical she is yes. and how melodramatic she is, they say, how did you find us? And she goes, I smell, I followed the smell of lies and deceit. What a great line. I love that line. And everything else is like a backhanded compliment with her. Yeah. It's great. She really did. She she was the perfect villain for this film. Because is she really a villain? I mean, she kidnapped the child to stay young forever. She's lied to said child. But it's kind of strange because I felt like she like oddly enough like she actually did love Rapunzel as her daughter yeah it is really such a weird push and pull with her because she won't let her go see the lanterns because obviously she doesn't want her to find out what they really mean and have her be taken away but then she is willing to go on a three days journey to get her the other present that she wants right and she's always um wanting to make her favorite soup I forget which hazelnut, hazelnut soup. soup, which actually sounds really good today. Yeah. 
because <laughs> it's so cold here. But she is so conflicting because I feel the same way. I, I want to dislike her greatly for the crime that she has committed. Right. We're not going to gloss over the fact that she kidnapped not just the princess, but, I mean, she just kidnapped the child. It doesn't matter whether you're a princess or not. Well, I don't think that that was the original intention. She it just wasn't. wanted her hair, and she realized that without the hair being attached to the body, it wasn't going to work. So I think she probably figured, well, instead of having to break into the palace every night, let's just take the baby. That's easier. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that was what she did. And up to this point, it has worked out in her favor. Max and Flynn, they have this great relationship. It's fun. It's almost sibling-like. And it reminded me of Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio in Catch Me If You Can. Because Max is just pursuing Flynn for the entire film. And it's one unique situation after another. Flynn is not as creative as Leonardo DiCaprio was in Catch Me as uh, Catch Me If You Can, but the way he was able to escape him every which way possible, to me, is where I draw that comparison. That is such a great comparison because, yes, ultimately Max does end up helping Flynn to escape. Right. So eventually Flynn had won him over. Yeah, and the whole thing, their whole pursuit of each other is very tongue-in-cheek to begin with, much like Catch Me If You Can. Though less tongue-in-cheek and sometimes confusing was why Mother Gothel let them get away as often as she did. It bothers me in any film that does this where the villain is in pursuit and they have who they want in their grasp and they let them get away. And that's pretty much what Mother Gothel does when she catches up to them the first time and gives them the crown. And she's like, here, see for yourself what Flynn does once he has it. And she just doesn't seem like the type that would be like, okay, here, go learn your own lesson. Yes and no. We'll talk about Mother Knows Best when we get to the music, but she sort of does mock Rapunzel in one of the reprises, where it's, well, Rapunzel knows best, and Rapunzel's grown up. So in a way, I do sort of buy the notion that she would be like, all right, go ahead. You go down your path and see how it works out for you because she is that arrogant. But I agree with you. I don't like when movies do that either because it's very Saturday morning cartoonish to me. Like how many times were the Ninja Turtles almost defeated and they somehow were let get, they, they got away or they were let go? Or really any antagonist and protagonist relationship because for television, you need to keep it going. Look at the original Batman television show from the 60s. How many times was Adam West going to run away from Cesar Romero? But it happened every week. Every week they were let go. Right, and it I, I, that's why I don't like it, because it makes the villain less menacing. Like Shredder, like you said, with TMNT, Shredder's supposed to be scary, but he seems stupid because he lets him get away every single time. But in this case... That is a fair point where she does, you know, get a little tongue in cheek later on and says Rapunzel does know best. But by this point, she has teamed up with the henchmen and promised them Flynn. So if they're going to get him no matter what, like, why didn't you just do it then and there when you had both of them? You drag her back to the tower. The other two big guys get Flynn and they get what they need. Yeah. Movie over. 
this is really the only area where it feels like an hour and 40 minutes dragged because I feel like there's so much unnecessary back and forth where they keep catching up and then keep letting them get away. And it's not even like Flynn and Rapunzel. The only scene where they really get away of their own accord is in the Snuggly Duck Tavern when they are shown the way to escape. It's not like they keep dodging the bad guys. They interact with them and then they're let go. Yeah. Speaking of the Snuggly Duckling, I love how the ruffians come full circle to save the day at the end of it. Yeah, because they're uh, they're very funny on their own once they break into song and dance and it's completely tongue-in-cheek and you almost don't buy them as being these big, vicious, dangerous people and their egos get a redemption at the end of the movie. Exactly. They're... Their funny quirks, are, they're able to harness them and use them. And I think that plays really well into the overall theme of the film because Rapunzel's got to learn to, you know, she's always been made to protect her hair. And once she's out in the real world, it's working against her because it's getting caught on everything and she's got to learn how to work with it. And, um, you know, it's kind of about embracing what makes you stand out. And she's got to do that with her hair. And they do the same thing with their these alter egos and then these weird quirks and hobbies that they have. Oh, make no doubt about it. This movie is completely about self-awareness, finding yourself, finding your confidence, your voice, and finding your place in society. Because Flynn does it as well. Yeah. And that's that's where I remember when this film came out, that was one of the biggest things was all these women being so into Flynn. He was like the new Disney it guy. He was like the new Prince Eric. And I think that's why. It's not because you have like this, you know, attractive character is because, you know, he's putting up this front where he's really he's really just Eugene. I think that's what everybody kind of tended to go for. And he he does kind of, in a way, you know, it's again with those parallels to Frozen. He reminds me of Kristoff in a way. Sort of the reluctant hero. Exactly. And starts off being very selfish and it, it just goes to show how selfless he really is at the end. Yes. Yeah, because that's the the ending kind of does take a surprising turn for me too. First of all, it gets violent really fast because for his back and forth and as many times as she let them go, Mother Gothel shows up again and then she just stabs him. And he, he wasn't even, you know, didn't even have a fair chance. His back was turned. I mean, she literally stabs him right in the back. Yeah, but I like that she pulled that one off because she went for it. I mean, I talked about it before. She's not, you're conflicted with whether you hate her or feel bad for her. Her literally stabbing somebody in the back selfishly to keep him from getting to Rapunzel and returning her to her rightful home. This is where by the end of the movie, I totally buy her as a villain. I think that that's it. She was supposed to toe the line the entire time as well with Flynn, because you don't really know if he's going to go back to being a thief or if he's actually going to, you know, if he wants to pursue his relationship with Rapunzel, with Rapunzel, end up being the good guy so I think that's in that moment you clearly define both of them that he's the hero and she's the villain yeah if there's one thing the movie does a really good job at it's toying with your emotions 
because you really are conflicted. With the exception of everybody but Rapunzel, you're very conflicted the entire time about your opinion of certain characters, how you feel about them, and whether whether you're following the path that the film wants you to follow or whether you're straying off on your own because you don't know whether you are right or wrong in your initial opinion of these characters. It's not until the very end where it comes full circle where you are justified in the way that you feel. Right, and then once they've established that, it kind of turns on you again almost because, you know, Rapunzel is about to save Flynn and instead of just letting her do it, and heal her, heal him, and then cut off her hair. He just cuts off the hair, and he's like, "No, it, it's not worth it. It's not worth putting you at risk and having your mother take you away again." So that that was kind of shocking. And again, you know, it's a credit to the storytellers for taking what we know and, like you said, toying with us the entire time and really giving us a fresh take on this fairy tale. Oh yeah, and it plays hand in hand perfectly with the music. I think the balance between the story that's told through dialogue and action and the story that's told through music, it is so perfect here. It is so balanced, and they tie each other up very nicely. Thanks to the talent of Alan Menken once again. Yeah. First song on the soundtrack is When Will My Life Begin? And it's upbeat, yet it's sad. But it's also curious. I think it's a great setup for the rest of the film moving forward. I think it's a fantastic introduction to Rapunzel as a character. Absolutely. It's great character development, and I like that it answers the question right away. Because you're naturally thinking, what does she do up there all day long? And she's been up there for almost 18 years. So, you know, I had mentioned it before. She cleans. She reads. She does her typical princessy things and then those hobbies become weirder and weirder as the song progresses and more involved and it's like oh my god what is she doing with her life yeah because she's making candles yeah she's just so bored and she's trying to find any form of entertainment possible but unlike a lot of those other disney princesses it's not an evil stepmother that's forcing her to clean for the sake of being cruel She's still allowed to have hobbies. Right. But you're right. They just get more bizarre and more bizarre up to and including sewing dresses for your chameleon. Mother Knows Best is the next song. And it's perfect. Again, it's perfectly loving, yet it's condescending and melodramatic. When I hear this song, I think Beverly Goldberg. Totally. That's who I see performing this song. One of those, you're going to kill your mother. I can't believe you did this to me. Don't you know? Evan Minkowitz's next door neighbor's cousin broke his arm on a seesaw. You want to go on the seesaw? (laughs) Yeah, over being so melodramatic over minutia. Yeah, it's absolutely perfect. And again, totally tongue-in-cheek, just like... Everything else that we've seen in the film up to this point in time. I kind of wish, though, that it had been Bernadette Peters. Over Donna Murphy? I mean, Donna Murphy is excellent, and she she really nails it. And I I like the speaking voice, too. She gives it like a huskiness. Mm -hmm. But for that song, I want that Bernadette Peters note so bad at the end of it. 
I think she's spot on. And I imagine that when Idina Menzel auditioned for the film, without knowing anything else, I would guess that this was the role that she had auditioned for. It had to be Mother Gothel, right? No. Yeah, they the whole reason that Idina Menzel got Elsa in Frozen is because they were considering her for Rapunzel, but her voice was far too big for it. And they they just pretty much told her to hang tight. We have something else for you. And I think that that was the best decision they could have made. Because yeah. if you consider the other songs, I I think they're absolutely right. I, Idina's voice, you know, she's amazing. I've said it a million times on the show. I'm a huge fan. I was way before Frozen. Um, but there's no denying. She's got a huge voice. And there are some times where it wouldn't work. And I think this character would have been too goofy for her. Rapunzel, you're saying? Yeah. Mother Gothel, though, she probably could have pulled it off. Yeah, I think she would have done okay with Mother Gothel. Yeah. Because you've seen her pull off the condescending uh, attitude, sort of stepmotherish in uh, Enchanted. Yes, absolutely. And even what she did in Wicked, I think, would have applied to Mother Gothel because, you know. In Wicked, she is the Wicked Witch. She's a conflicted character. So I think she would have done a good job towing that line between caring about Rapunzel and being the villain, too. I've Got a Dream is the earworm of this movie. It's the song that is performed by Rapunzel and Flynn and the thugs at the Snuggly Duckling. It's hilarious. I think this is Alan Menken at his best. That whole scene shouldn't work so well, but it just does at every single level. Like, the whole meltdown that she's having, like, come on, guys, where's your hum- humanity? And she's able to bring down these big, burly men with a song and just get right to their core. It's brilliant. It's hysterical. It reminds me of Hoop Do Review, maybe because it does sound a little like she'll be coming around now. Yeah. Especially with that tavern piano that they're playing. Yes. I think that the way that, I mean, musically, we know Alan Menken is incredible, and he always seems to find himself working with these fantastic lyricists that have such a way of playing with words, and the music and the lyrics do play off of each other, and it works so well in this song. But I think... I See the Light is a totally underrated song for Alan Menken in his portfolio, but also in the Disney canon. I feel like this song does not get the respect that it deserves. Yeah, and I feel like it's such a given. Like, wouldn't this be so obvious for a projection show? Yes. Yes, it would. I feel like they've used it before, but just not to the full potential. Or they've used the, the lanterns, but not in conjunction with the song. They've used the lanterns in a medley of something else. Right. I love the double meaning here. Yes. The literal and figurative uh, meaning of I See the Light. I think that Mandy Moore and Zachary Levi kill this song. Yeah. We talked about who wasn't cast for Rapunzel, but we haven't talked about who was. Um, I was super excited when I heard it was Mandy Moore. I... Thought she was adorable when she did her pop thing. And uh, 
I loved her in A Walk to Remember. That was probably her big claim to fame. And I remember specifically in that film, the moment she just wins you over as the leading lady when she's, you know, singing on stage. And then after that, she kind of laid low for a while. She did a couple of other Disney films, but um, I feel like this was her big comeback because she wasn't, you know, This Is Us is her big thing now. And that wasn't obviously on the air yet. Um, so it was just nice to see her get her due, but I think her voice is so perfect, both speaking and singing for Rapunzel. She has the voice of an 18-year-old, whereas Idina Menzel would have sounded too old. Right, but Elsa's supposed to be like 18 in her coronation, and she pulls it off. I think, I think it's just all about character, and Mandy Moore has that like, more of like a warm round soothing tone and that's what this character called for and she's a little bit more whimsical she's a little bit more fun than elsa is exactly not as serious exactly not as stern and idina menzel we all know the global phenomenon that frozen became which is why we have a you know huge opening this week for frozen 2 so we know that they got the casting right but it would have been hard seeing her sing these songs and be cast in this role. I don't think it would have worked. I don't think it would have worked. And I think I think it was the best decision for both films because then it's like, I, I can't picture anybody else being Elsa. I can't picture Mandy Moore being Elsa. No, certainly not. And that's really it in terms of the soundtrack because a lot of the music, a lot of the songs, they're just reprises. They come back around. But in terms of the big songs here, these are the ones that are the standouts. These are the focal points. And I think that the score is great. I think the soundtrack is great. I think that this is one of those movies where the songs are forgotten about, and I just don't really understand why. I think it's totally underrated. I agree with you. I mean, we didn't see this film when it first came out. It took us a couple of years to finally get around to it. I remember it being popular with the kids, but I feel like this isn't like one of the front runners, you know, like it just seems like you said that it it's just underrated. Let's talk about the animation for a moment. I think I said it before. The animation is stunning. We talked about the amount of detail that went into her hair, but the kingdom is so beautifully animated and it's so colorful And I sort of wish we saw more of this in the Magic Kingdom, as weird as that sounds. We just came back from our trip. We talked about New Fantasyland, um, because it'll always be New Fantasyland to us, in our bonus episode that we released yesterday. But I wish I saw more than just her tower. I mean, the tower was always there. It was kind of retrofit where they added the lanterns to make it more related to Tangled. I just feel like the movie is so scenic that with Disney wanting to make everything fully immersive and make these immersive experiences, which is seems like the buzzword of the day. I said it so many times yesterday. Why you didn't draw more influence from this film? I'm again this the movie, I feel like, is just not getting the love it deserves. Especially, too, because with all of the sketches that she did inside the tower and the, the sun, that's really pretty. Like, yeah, I would love to see that 
um, more than just on the paper lanterns. Like if they incorporated, if they did like a mosaic or a tile or something, I think that would be really pretty. I agree. I love how they animated Pascal, the way that he comes in and out of different colors and the way that his, his palette changes, I thought was really well done. That's fun. I, I think they could have done more with it. Well, for a while, I know at least in the parks for a while, they had like find the Pascal where he was scattered throughout the park, but I don't think they do that anymore. But you're right. I feel like he could have played a bigger role as a sidekick, maybe a, a more of a heroic role if he could have blended into a background or onto a surface to help Flynn and Rapunzel either escape or somehow heal or rescue him. I, I'm I'm not really giving good examples here, but I feel like they, he was underutilized. No, I agree. It's like I said before, one of my bigger issues with the plot was how Mother Gothel kept catching up and then letting them escape. So if Pascal was the one who was able to figure out the escape, that probably would have been more effective. But he does redeem himself at the end because when... Um, after Flynn cuts the hair off, he holds it taut and Mother Gothel trips over it and falls out of the tower. So he does get his big comeuppance at the end. Interesting enough, the original title for the film was Rapunzel. Disney changed it to Tangled to try and make it more gender neutral. Interesting. And you know what? I actually think that was the right choice to make because I think there's enough going on here between the comedy of the film, between some of the action. I think there's something here for everybody. But I think if you would have called it Rapunzel, you would have lost the male audience. And I don't think they would have been inclined to go see a movie called Rapunzel. They would rather go see a Marvel movie, a Star Wars movie, something else. And I feel like they'd be missing on, a, on something that they would really be enjoying otherwise. Especially because they did flesh out Flynn so much and it does really give the boys something to latch on to. Yeah, because it they're sort of a 1A, 1B, the m way that the movie is laid out. Yes, Rapunzel's the main character, but I feel like Flynn Rider is as important a character as she is. He doesn't seem like a secondary character, like a Prince Eric, for example. No, this isn't, you know, I had mentioned it before. If this had been done in the Sleeping Beauty Cinderella era, it would have been a princess movie. But they they definitely level the playing field. And this is just as much about him as it is Rapunzel. So in conclusion, for me at least, I'm not sure why. But this movie, I've said it a few times, I feel like it's always forgotten. And then you watch it again and you can't remember why you stopped watching it or why it's not one of the ones that comes to mind right away. I love Zachary Levi as Flynn. I think he brings a great sense of humor to the character. I think Mandy Moore was great as Rapunzel. I love that she's got some Giselle in her, you know, from Enchanted, but it's not ironic. So it oddly works, the sort of too sheltered for her own good thing that she's got going on. I think it's basically a perfect movie I, I, I for me personally i know you have issues with the catch and release but i don't have as much a problem with it i don't think there are a lot of plot holes here i think the dialogue is snappy the characters are great the soundtrack is great i do think the movie is paced well 
and it ranks very high for me. Really? Yeah. Wow. I'm surprised. Not because I think it's bad, but like I just didn't realize how into this you were. Neither did I. But that's my point exactly. I loved this movie when I saw it the first time, and I didn't watch it for another four years. I guess maybe that's it. It's not any less enjoyable. Maybe just the rewatchability factor is just not there. It's like once you've seen it and you've seen the the different take on this fairy tale, maybe the... I don't want to say shock value, um, but maybe that what makes it so interesting kind of wears off. It could be. What about you? Um, I definitely think it's a fun movie, but yes, where what does drag it down for me is the catch and release. But it bothers me about any film that does that. So um, it it's just my taste. I don't, you know... I'm not going to keep going back to something necessarily where it it just bothers me. Um, But other than that, you know, it definitely gets redeemed with a bunch of fun characters and some really, really great music and musical sequences because this is one of those films where um, in those musical numbers, the animation just goes hand in hand. Like you could isolate them as their own little short films because they're the, the songs are just that good and they're so detailed as far as how they relate to the characters we want to know your opinion of tangled you can let us know on twitter instagram and facebook at monorail radio news this week uh actually it's kind of happening right now idina menzel and Kristen bell are getting their stars on the hollywood walk of fame yay i'm so excited I'm sure this is not how Idina Menzel thought that she'd get there, but she got one. I mean, she got one, and that's what counts. That's what counts. Right? But um, I'm sort of surprised it took them, either one of them, this long. Not, I mean, they're not, they're not old by any stretch of the imagination. They're both still very young, but they've had very fulfilling careers up to this point in time. So I'm surprised that they're only getting it now. I do like that they're getting it together, though. Totally. I like that they're putting them as a package deal. And the other news of the week is the launch of Disney+. Plus. It's been a week. 10 million day one subscribers. And people were actually shocked when the servers crashed. I don't know why. I'm not shocked by either of those things. The 10 million subscribers definitely doesn't surprise me. I'm surprised that it was actually less than I thought it was going to be. Um, But I think Disney was prepared for that many people. But yeah, it's like, what did you think was going to happen when that many people are trying to use the same thing all at once? I think if there is one criticism that can be said, and a lot of people have said it, it's that the app was not available for download until the service launched. And I think that played a role in knocking the servers down because so many people were downloading it at one time. If you would have been able to do it, not I won't even say a week, the day before, two days before. Yeah, just log in, set up your watch list. Set up your watch list, set up your billing, and then just wait for the app to become completely unlocked. That probably would have caused less of a headache. True. But with all that being said... Uh, we are so far enjoying it very much. Yeah, we're loving the original content. 
it's so much better than I thought it was going to be. Like, I knew I was going to love The Mandalorian, but I didn't think I was going to love Encore. And I sat there two days ago and watched the first two episodes, and I can't wait until the new episode to come out, which I, of all the things on there right now, was not the thing I thought I'd be most excited for. It's not what I'm most excited for, but it's it's close to the top of the list. It's so good. It's such a unique idea for a series. And now they announced earlier today that Pick of the Litter is going to be coming out on December 20th. Oh my gosh, I'm already crying. Following dogs that are training to become guide dogs. What a fantastic concept and a great cause to raise awareness for. And let's not forget the fantastic contest that we are running right now. We brought back a Disney Parks prize pack for you guys consisting of park maps, uh, a couple of lays from the grand opening of the brand new Ron John store at Disney Springs, as well as a Disney Christmas parade pin. Very limited release, very limited edition. All you have to do to enter is to leave us a rating and a review on Facebook or your preferred podcast service. As soon as you do that, you get an entry and you're in it to win it. That contest will go until Sunday, December 1st at 11.59 p.m. And we will announce the winner on our show on Tuesday, December the 3rd. Of course, I just said we brought that back from Walt Disney World. We had a fantastic trip. And if you are looking to head down yourself and enjoy Walt Disney World, Jackie can help get you there. Yes, I'm with Magical Vacation Planner, which is an authorized Disney concierge service that helps you book your trip. And we try and get you the best deal possible at no extra cost to you. So get in touch with me at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. Or you can reach out directly through our social media. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.